ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good afternoon, this is Chickie Fitzgerald, and we are going on a ride today. I will tell you that I am considering taking the rest of the month off and doing nothing but reading this author's books for the rest of the month. I think it could do amazing things for my business. But for today, what we're going to focus on is his newest book called Super Bosses. And it is my honor and privilege to introduce to you Sydney Finkelstein. And Sydney has so many uh, amazing things about him that I could share. But I, I think in the interest of time, I'm just going to let him give you the thumbnail uh, about himself. Sydney, welcome. Hi, Chickie. Good, great to be on. Great. Sydney, uh, again, you, you have published so many books and so many articles. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to try not to be intimidated by the fact that you uh, have been voted one of the top 50 prominent thinkers on management in the world. And, uh, again, it is just my honor to, to speak to you today and to introduce you and your concepts to our audience. So, Sydney, why don't you just give them the thumbnail of your background? Sure. Uh, well, I'm a professor at Dartmouth College, the business school, the Tuck School of Business, and I've been here over 20 years. Um, and I, um, I do research on what I call strategic leadership, which boils down to leaders that do really, really good things and leaders that do really, really bad things. And I've written books on those, uh, on those topics. And uh, I do quite a bit of uh, consulting and speaking uh, as well and uh, love, to, uh, love to engage with different audiences on uh, uh, how to think more effectively as a leader and, and maybe how to help other people get better as well. Well, I'll tell you, this couldn't be more timely for me. I had a call with a, a colleague this morning, and she was telling me that she just took a job with a new organization, and she was talking about how inspiring uh, her new boss is, and she, she actually just said he was magical. Mm. And I thought, oh, man, wouldn't it be amazing to have somebody describe me that way, right? Mm. And and I've had a particularly diff difficult couple of weeks uh, trying to be a super boss, and that's something that you actually can't strive for, but I think we can learn how to be one. And, you know, I love the subtitle, uh, How Exceptional Leaders Master the Flow of Talent, because it really is all about the people. Yes, it really, it really is. And, and these, are, these are leaders, these super bosses that, um, well, they help, other, they help create other leaders. They help other people accomplish more than they ever thought possible. They, they really see the potential in others sometimes before they see it themselves. So you could just right. imagine how great it would be to work for somebody like that. And uh, by the same token, how excited you'd be in a company if you had a bunch of leaders that adopted these super boss practices. You can't mm -hmm. help but get better. Right, right. Well, I love how in your very first chapter of the book, following the introduction, you, you describe a couple of those categories uh, of different types of bosses, uh, iconoclasts, glorious bastards, and nurturers. And I, I happen to know which one I'm not out of those three, and I, I won't spoil the story since you don't know me well, but why don't you give us some insight into the types of leaders that we have 
Yeah, there were. Uh, I did find three three types, and pretty much it's it's about the motivation that they have. So, for example, the nurturer is the type of person most people think of when they talk about mentors, people that really support you on the job. And uh, I certainly found plenty of plenty of those. Uh, the uh, the second type were called iconoclasts, and these are the more creative types, people like. Um, um, Maybe Ralph Lauren in, in fashion, or Lauren Michaels in from Saturday Night Live, the executive producer and creator of that show. And these are people that uh, help others get better uh, by really attracting great talent around them. And they want to be part of their people want to be part of their circle. And there's a lot of kind of give and take that helps explain that. And and the third category is, I guess, most people would call it the most interesting one because it's the glorious bastard. And uh, and these are people that want to win. They want to win above all else. That's pretty much all they care about. And they don't necessarily care about the people on their teams. But because they understand, and this is the critical thing, they understand that to win, you need to have the world's best teams. You need to have the right people on the bench. Right. Because of that, they actually do help people get better. They do develop and support you. They do create opportunities for you, not because, not because they love you, not because they want to see you be so successful yourself, but because that's their pathway to win. So different motivations, but remarkably, all three types, they do pretty much the same thing when it comes to being a super boss. Very interesting. So, Sydney, how do you hire people who get it? And, and who really can can march alongside whether whether it's any one of these three types of leaders who can really help a company grow. I'm I happen to be an entrepreneur and a serial entrepreneur at that. And this is my biggest challenge is finding those really A team players who get it and are willing to actually put a lot on the line to make it happen. Yeah. Well there's uh, there are a lot of answers to that question, but I'll give you I'll give you one, and that is most of us, most people, when they look for talent, they look for new hires, they go back to the same the same watering holes. They go they go back to the same places, and you, you, that might be fine. Those same places could be you know the same universities. They could be asking the same contacts if they know anyone. Uh, but what super bosses do is they purposely look for untapped talent pools, as I call them. In other words, people that maybe others haven't looked at as much for their particular uh, industry. So for example, Jay Shiat is the founder of a, of a big advertising agency called Shiat Day, legendary actually. And he recognized that, uh, for, and this goes back now into the 80s and the 90s, he recognized that there were very few women who were senior executives or were senior uh, design and creative people in advertising agencies. And, and to him, that was an untapped talent pool. And he purposely went after that, that market. He, went, he purposely targeted women that had high potential. No guarantees you're going to you know, get, get the job or get promoted, but at least he, he opened the door for you. And, and as a result, his firm became populated with more high, high-powered, more successful women than any other agency in, 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 that, in that industry. And so if you want to find really great people, you need to open up your, your, um, your, your mind a little bit and say, where, where should I be looking that maybe I haven't looked, uh, haven't looked before? And the big bonus you get is when you go after people in, that, in, in those fields, in those areas that are maybe have been overlooked before, the loyalty that they're going to feel towards you, the respect they're going to feel towards you is, is really powerful. And, and that, of course, has is, is got to be a good thing. Right. You know, it's interesting. That reminds me of a story of a uh, travel agency and a very high-end one that deals primarily with luxury travel. 
And, you know, they had had a really hard time finding, you know, the kind of skill that they need. And the guy who came in to help them build that company actually said that they should be hiring the person who is the person who greets people at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse because she knew everything about the people who were coming in. And it turns out she was just a you know, multi-million dollar producer right out of the gate. So uh, again, really uh, going outside of the boxes is uh, a great thing to do. Now, you also talk about motivating people to do the impossible. And, and in the book, you clarify that by talking about motivating exceptional people to do the impossible. What's the yeah. secret there? Well, there are two things that uh, that these great leaders, these super bosses do. Number one is, well, they're, they're going to push you hard. You're going to work hard. They create a performance orientation. They raise the bar. They have high expectations. They, it's not a walk in the park to work for them. There's no two ways around that. But the second thing that they do, and this is missing among a lot of uh, a lot of managers, to be sure, is that they really inspire people to believe that there's nothing they can't do. They fire people up. They energize people. I mean, Ralph Lauren used to say to the people that work for him, you know, we are, we are the ones that set the standard. Everybody else follows us. We don't follow them. And he really believed it. It was authentic. It was, the real, it was, it was real. And, and he got everyone so inspired, so excited. I and mean, why do people work? Why do, why, why do people work? If the answer is because I need to make a living, I need some money, I got that. But that's not how you're going to get the best out of people, and that's not how people are going to rise to the occasion and do even more. So that inspiration part, even though it's a soft word, is such a critical part to being a successful motivator. Right. And you also talk in the book about being uncompromisingly open. And I have been criticized <laughs> over the years uh, because I insist on being completely open and, and very transparent about a number of things. Mm-hmm. And and I am actually fairly uncompromising about that, but I've never really heard about this in the context of leadership. Yeah, well, it means two things once again, and and they don't always go together, which is very interesting. Number one, they have they they have a an uncompromising vision of what they believe in, and you know you don't have to be a Ralph Lauren, you know, or a Larry Ellison, or any of these larger than life characters to to have a vision. I think every manager, certainly every entrepreneur, as you know well has to have a vision about what you really care about. What's the purpose? What, what's the potential? What are you driving for? And that's a vision that, that they're not going to switch off of. That's kind of their, their, um, their, their, true, their true north for themselves. But what they also do is that, and this is the openness part, they unleash the creativity of the people that work for them. They expect you. They want you. If you're working for, for, for a super boss, for this type of leader, they want to hear your ideas. They want to know what you think. They want your point of view. And they uh, and they don't just want it; they expect it. And and think about right. what that's like to work for someone that has this this powerful vision, this exciting, inspiring vision. And at the same time, they want you to play a big role here. They want you. They want your ideas. You, you know, you think about the millennial generation and how critical this whole thing is. Uh, I have to say, in a lot of the speeches and talks and work that I'm doing. The, the audiences that resonate the most, and you'll get a kick out of this, are, are millennials, younger people, and entrepreneurs who completely get this idea of having the vision, but at the same time, you need to, you can't do it all yourself. You, you have right. no opportunity to be successful beyond tiny, tiny, tiny business if you can't bring in other people and get the best of them. And that's what, that's what this means, this uncompromisingly open idea. Right, right. 
Well, and, and in the next chapter, you actually talk about masters and apprentices. And, and one of the traps that entrepreneurs fall into, particularly in the bootstrapping phase of a business, is we have to do everything, absolutely everything. And then you begin to outsource the few things that you know perhaps don't fall in your skill set. And I'm always saying that you know, I'm, I'm doing many things that I can do, but a lot of things I shouldn't be doing. And so bringing along those people to apprentice, and we, we don't really use that term uh, much in, in common language, although, you know, clearly uh, of late we talk about the apprentices, the show. But I've got a, a 16-year-old son, and we've been trying to explain to him that there isn't just one path for him. He happens to go to a college preparatory high school um, but that there are many, many different things that he could do in life where he could actually apprentice uh, under a master, and, and that isn't a term that we hear very often. How does this fit into the context of leadership? This is, in many ways, the heart of what it takes to develop talent, to help other people get better. And it, it, in a way, it shouldn't be a shock because the apprenticeship approach to developing tra- talent, to, to learning your craft, this has been in place for you know, hundreds of years, maybe maybe longer. Uh, it's the way that everyone learned whatever it is that they ended up doing in their in their career and their job. But no one, or hardly anyone, talks about apprenticeship when it comes to you know uh, professions or management or leadership or anything like right. that. Uh, and uh, and and I think it's a mistake because I think for super bosses, they have what they've done is they've resurrected the apprenticeship approach. And what what that means is that you, if you're a a leader, part of your role is to be a teacher not just a coach, but a, a real teacher uh, for the people that work for you to, to help them learn, learn about the business, learn about the industry, learn about themselves, learn about life in general. Uh, I think that's, that's what you know, the master-apprentice relationship has, is, is, a big part, is a big part of what that's, what that's about. And, and to be successful with, with that approach, what you really need to do is, I think, customize how you interact with each member of your team, with each person that re- right. that works for you, but not only works for you, but it could be in your circle, it could be peers, it could be other people. We we often fall into the trap, many leaders fall into the trap of a one-size-fits-all, that you know, this is who I am and this is how I'm going to behave and that's who yeah. I am and, you know, and we all got to, yep. you know, but uh, uh, compare that to how we think about customers, uh, if you want to look at it that way. Uh, customers, you know, go on Google and look for something. Google is going to tell you what you're looking for before you even told Google. It's unbelievable. It's a little, a little spooky. But compare that to how we, we think about individual, how we manage individual mm-hmm. uh, employees. Uh, it's nothing close to the way that we have customized and, 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 and tried to understand each individual customer. But we, when it comes to people, it's a one-size-fits-all. And that's not the way an apprenticeship works. That's not good management. And I think no. that's why that's such an important component of the whole thing. Well, and, and it gets right into this next point about delegation. And, and again, I, I speak currently from the entrepreneurial side. I, I did spend many years in, in corporate America. Um, but, uh, again, one of the reasons why people think that entrepreneurs are, are uh, you know, control freaks, if you will, is because of this, this period of time when, when they had to do everything. And, and the other characteristic of entrepreneurs is it goes from our brain directly into our fingers, sometimes directly onto a web page or in a blog, and, and into the action uh, that we want and the deliverable that we want to accomplish. And so as we begin to actually delegate uh, and to these apprentices or to, you know, to peers and uh, other executives who we've brought in who do get it, 
um, we tend to be more hands-on in the actual delegation process. And it's not because we don't trust. It is, I believe, because we really do have an inbred desire to nurture and, and to teach. Uh, but maybe that hasn't been one of our uh, skill sets in the past. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, a hands-on delegator is, to me, the key to, to effective delegation. Number one, you have to be willing to let other people in and give them significant responsibility. If you don't, you will always remain. If you're an entrepreneur, you're not going to be able to grow. You know this. You just spoke to that point. And if you're in a company, uh, you're going to get burned out. Uh, in fact, I think that applies for both. When I talk to or coach managers or executives and you know, they tell me they're, they're burnt out, they're working 24-7, they can't take it, I, I quickly turn to delegation and ask about it. And it turns out very often they're not, they're not delegating. Why? Maybe they don't trust their team or they're afraid or what have you. Um, or they're control freaks. <laughs> it could be any combination right. of those things. Super bosses are unafraid to delegate. They actually delegate big. They believe in creating opportunities for people. But what makes it hands-on is they don't delegate and forget. They delegate, and they will also be involved. They will look into what you're doing. They'll, as right. I mentioned earlier, coach you and teach you. But they're not going to go over that, that line, that micromanagement line. That's the key thing. Micro, a micromanager is someone that does your work for you. That's not what they're going to do. But they are, they're also not going to ignore you. And it's a really interesting combination of giving you some leeway, giving you big opportunities, but also showing up occasionally to, to interact with you and push you and take you to the next level. I, I think it's the best way to delegate. Right, right. So you, you also introduced the concept of, of the cohort. And I, I know some people who've been involved in marketing have done cohort studies and, and looking at you know, like groups of people. And, and so that is really their definition. You talk about the cohort effect. Talk to us yeah. about how that fits into the super boss philosophy. The, the, the cohort effect is simply when you get a group of people that are working together, they, uh, they will actually in almost every instance, get better by themselves. They will get better by virtue of interacting together, especially if you go and do some of the things we've talked about already, such as getting great talent, unusual talent, and having them you know, being inspired and unleashing their creativity and, and all the rest. So the cohort effect is really the power of the team. And, mm -hmm. and the, thing that I, uh, the, the place where I saw super bosses really step in, I mean, a bunch of them, but one, one quick one is... Um, they develop this cohort, this group, this team, and, and they create an environment where they push each other to get better and better. And so they, they, they compete and they collaborate at the same time. And an unusual, you know, it's an unusual combination to have <laughs> right. a team that does both at the same time. But the reality is that if you're on any team, there is a level of competition because if you, if you have aspirations to move up, there's only one boss there. Or if you want to get better at what you're doing, there's a, there is an element of competition. The thing is you don't want to let it get out of control because you need collaboration. That's what a team is. A team, a good, an effective team is one that collaborates and works together. So you need to get both. And that's something that super bosses have really emphasized a, a great right. deal. And I think they're great at building teams as a result. And Sydney, I have a question though about that because one of my observations, and and I built a company, uh, my first technology company, seven years ago, and you know raised seven million dollars, and you know that's the good news until you figure out that you need ten, right? Mm -hmm. And and the one thing we really had going for us is we were all together. We were in a physical facility at the time. We owned an office building, and and it was just beautifully structured, uh, very very functional, and. Uh, 
that that company ended up not not succeeding and and for too many uh reasons to go into on this this call but uh suffice it to say that uh when that company shut down um we sold the office building and both my husband and I moved home and that was uh, almost 8 years ago and I am still working from home and my greatest desire for my current technology company that I'm just getting ready to launch is that we actually are back in that physical facility and I have found that while I'm very very good at managing remote teams because I've had a consulting firm for 20 years uh where I did that um the desire of my heart is to have that cohort effect by actually being in the same room and being able to motivate one another and to play off of each other's energy because working remotely from home uh well you know i mean there are great lifestyle things about it and i do enjoy that those pieces uh i think it really deteriorates this cohort effect what do you think well, it's definitely much, much more challenging when you're dealing with uh, people that are in all sorts of different uh, different places. Um, I think with modern technology and some of the uh, social uh, apps that are available and, and the different form, different things people, have, uh, uh, some companies have been use, using so that no matter where you're sitting, uh, you, you're actually in touch uh, via technology with, uh, with the people in your team um, almost all day. There are some improvements. Uh, or some possibilities, but it's definitely tougher. And I think the punchline is when you do work in that type of environment, whenever you have face-to-face time, you need to, I mean, that's gold. You need to use that really, really well. And and long presentations and PowerPoint slides and all the rest should be thrown right out the door. You need to be eyeball to eyeball and you need to be talking. You need to, right, you need to right. be debating and discussing and do your homework ahead of time so that you can really get the most out of that time. And one of, one of the last topics that you cover in the book is is about networks of success. And yeah. and I know those people who are not only super bosses but who are just you know plain exceptional leaders, uh, and, and really have mastered uh, the business of business. Know how important it is to surround yourself with other people. So speak to us about the networks of success. When somebody works for you and they. They're ready to go. They're ready to leave. They want to do their own thing. They want to start their own business. They want. They they have a great opportunity. So many people look at that and say, "Wow, you are you're disloyal. You know, um, you haven't supported me when I needed you," and that's just an emotional response that is counterintuitive. What is wrong with somebody wanting to fulfill their potential? You you're doing it. Why shouldn't they do it? And especially as we 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 think about millennials and how few are going to stay put for a long long time it's it's actually not just a an occasional thing it's going to be the trend and and the pattern in the future and so then there's only one question that you that you really want to ask which is how should i can i be strategic about this how can i kind of get some type of um return on my investment even after they've left mm. and uh and it's certainly possible all it takes is supporting those people not fighting with them not turning your right. back on them and and then looking for opportunities to do some business together uh to sometimes people actually get come back to the to, to the business that they that they left because they had such a great experience and they're they're ready to come back um you look for mutual opportunities to do some work with each other so you want to be you want to be strategic about this and it's such a critical thing because most places, most companies talk about retaining talent, and I'm all for retaining talent. But when you emphasize that as the ultimate goal, you end up driving away some great people. I think we're much better off mm-hmm. thinking about how to get the best talent, become that talent magnet, if you will, 
And if somebody is ready to move on to a different job, it, it, you, you don't get to force them to stay working for you. You don't get that option. So you right. might as well go with it and try to get the best benefit you possibly can. And, and remarkably, for super bosses, they continue to stay in touch with dozens, sometimes hundreds of people um, over over a period of time. And that's a huge asset for you, a huge network asset for you. That mm-hmm. that and These are people that, that are going to come back and be ready to help you because you were so helpful to them. So it's a big Absolutely. plus. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things I work on, well, certainly on the consulting side of my business, is coming up with business models that that actually facilitate the kind of thing that you're talking about. And and this woman I was speaking with this morning, she's with a a development firm that does offshore development and, you know, offshore business process handling. And, you know, she was talking about how they're they're building up their network of people here in the U.S. and, And we were talking about some models of using rural labor and and some things that that help keep those costs in line but but the interesting thing is that if you don't have a model uh if you want to go after for instance doing development work for early stage companies you can't use the same model that you use for outsourcing technology for IBM right and and so we were mm-hmm. talking about how you can set up a model where you know, senior programmers who are just really super amazing at what they do can actually move into a role where they could invest uh, you know, a piece of their time and, and actually end up with equity in some of the companies that they're doing programming for. And, and that's a, a engineering it into your business model to allow people to become entrepreneurs within a corporate environment. And within my own firm, we're setting aside 10% of every dollar that we earned into an innovation fund that can be used really for anything that we want. And the reason is so that when a great idea comes up, you don't have to rob from Peter to pay Paul. You actually have this fund there. And whether it's investing in the ideas of your people or you know, acquiring companies or investing uh, in other companies that are adjacent to what you're doing, you know, I think that you can, you can actually engineer it into your business. Hmm. I love that idea. That's such a practical way to do it. And I really like it that you're doing it as a smaller business, an entrepreneurial business, not just something that giant companies can do. Right, right. Well, I think they can do it as well. And when I look back at my own career, and I'm kind of this odd duck that uh, I went to college and in my first semester of my freshman year, I wrote a paper in my English class on the value of experience versus education. And you can imagine what the rest of the story is. I went home at Thanksgiving and told my parents I was going to quit. And I was going to uh, you know, go into the business world because I didn't need yeah. a degree. And sure enough, back in 1976, I didn't need a degree because there was no such thing as these systems that screen you out based on, on right. your, your education. Uh, and so I have done you know, very, very well. But I was an intrapreneur within a corporation doing acquisitions uh you know with with the corporation's money under the the security of a a uh, salary uh long before I went out and became an entrepreneur on my own where I was investing my own money and my own resources um nice. let's let's uh, kind of close this out because we're getting uh to the end of the half hour um, the last chapter of this book is super bosses and you and i I kind of led the intro to this show by saying. Boy, you know, I mean, literally, I look back at all of your books, Sydney, and the ones about failure, uh, all of them resonate with me. Uh, but this one in particular, because, you know, we all have a heart as leaders, not just to build companies for the sake of building companies, but but really to give back. And, and giving back, again, is a huge part of my company's business model. We give back 10% of our revenue stream to the charity of choice of our clients uh, when they deploy our product. And and we also want to be giving back to our people 
Uh, and we want to leave a legacy. I mean, that's what it's all about. Um, you know, leaving that legacy behind us, whether it's to our children or grandchildren or, or just to the people, as you said, who over the years have worked for us. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. How do we become a super boss? I mean, is it as simple as following these, these other eight principles? Well, that's, uh, I won't call it simple because you have to work at it, but yes, those are the key elements. Those eight principles are, I call it the super boss playbook. Uh, and by the way, completely learnable, completely teachable. It's not some kind of secret sauce. Uh, you can do it. Uh, anyone can, can do it if you're willing to. But to go and, and kind of wrap up on this legacy point, it is really re- remarkable because when you help other people get better you, you, and, and you know, advance their careers, create opportunities for them, uh, you're doing something that is never going to be forgotten. I always say, you know, people never forget their super boss, and it's absolutely true. Everyone who's who's listening is probably thinking about their past bosses and mm-hmm. and who resembled some of the folks that we've been we've been talking about. And uh, and that's a, I mean, that's a powerful thing. When all is said and done, wouldn't it be a great thing to say, yes, I did this, I created this, I did that, and there are five, ten, twenty, a hundred people that have worked for me or interact with me over the course of my life. And in some some small way, I helped them get better. I created something for them, and 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 that's my legacy. That's that's right. a very powerful notion. Well, I love that, Sydney. And and again, coming back to the subtitle of the book, uh, you really lay out the master plan for how exceptional leaders master the flow of talent. Because again, we we can't become great leaders uh, without having people that we're leading. Uh, you know, leaders don't stand alone. So um, one of your other books is, is Why, Why Smart Executives Fail. Uh, again, you, you've had a, a wide range of books, and folks can just go onto your your profile on Amazon, and it shows uh, all of your different books um, on strategic uh, leadership, on strategic thinking, uh, so much. Sydney, where is the best place for folks to follow you or if their organization would like to have you come and speak? What's that connection point? Well, you can definitely catch up with me on Twitter, and and my handle is at Sid, S-Y-D, Finkelstein. And um, you can also contact me via my website, which is www.superbosses.com. So pretty easy to get a hold of me. Well, Sydney, thank you so much uh, for devoting your time to us today. I know that our listeners are going to uh, really step up because they listen to this show so that they can invest in themselves. Again, the name of the book is Super Bosses, How Exceptional Leaders Master the Flow of Talent. Sydney, thank you so, so much for joining us and have a super weekend. Thank you, Chickie. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald. 